Hey listeners, we are Frontline Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. You are about to listen to a sermon from a Sunday gathering at our downtown OKC location. We pray that it moves you towards the power and presence of Christ and calls you to love God, love people, and push back darkness. Please visit FrontlineChurch.com for more information. The scripture for today's sermon comes from Acts 1, 1 through 3, and Acts 28, 30 through 31. The word of God speaks to us. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is God's word to us. Awesome. Hey, guys, good morning. It's, uh, it's really fun to see you guys. If we haven't met yet, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm really excited. I'm excited about kicking off this year with you guys. I'm praying that today would be the beginning of a deepening, a deepening of our urgency and our patience for what God's doing in our city. That God would do a work throughout the course of this year to make us more resilient. And uh, one of the things I'm praying for you and praying for me is that God would lead us to a place as we engage in mission where we would have like flinty jaws and really tender hearts. That God would grow our toughness where we would not be afraid or embarrassed or ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. And at the same time, where he would increase our capacity to love the city that he's called us to engage and serve. So I want to pray for you guys. You pray for me. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you can flip open to Acts, Acts chapter 1 and Acts 28. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you that you're working already in this year. And I thank you that everything that happens this year, everything that happens even the things that feel tumultuous, even the things that feel scary, even the things that happen throughout the course of this year that we wish didn't happen, we thank you that your love and your power and your provision is gonna be demonstrated. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be courageous, that we would actually trust our Father more. We pray as we talk about your mission in the kingdom of God today, that you would expand our faith and that you would deepen us as a people. Help us to not waste our lives. God, you've said in your word that life is like a wisp of smoke that's here and gone. So I pray that what you're doing, what you're doing eternally would shape our values and our time and our passions and our affections. Anna, we love you so much. We love you, but we don't love you as much as we want to. So grow our love. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. Hey, it's super fun having so many new people in the life of our church right now. And uh, if you're new to our church, what I want to say is that typically what we do on a Sunday morning is we walk through entire books of the Bible. We, we walk through books of the Bible in our preaching for two main reasons. The first reason we love to preach through books of the Bible at Frontline is because we believe that you are in a world that is literally drowning in hot takes. You don't need any more hot takes. Hot takes are killing you. 
And what you need more than anything else is week in and week out to actually open God's word, which is living and active and authoritative and beautiful and to be shaped and formed by his word. Second reason that we preach through books of the Bible is because we want you guys to be trained and equipped to feed yourselves. It would be really dysfunctional if you only ate once a week and that in a restaurant. Being an adult, <laughs> being an adult requires that you learn to cook for yourself and feed yourself and nourish yourself. And what we want is for you guys to come on a Sunday morning and for us to open God's word, not just so that we could be fed for the entirety of our week, but so that we could learn to rightly handle the word of truth, to interpret it, to apply it, to let it lead us into worship and repentance and faith so that you can feed yourself all week long. Now, in the midst of that, from time to time, we'll do a topical series about something going on in the life of our church. And, and we'll do a topical series with our Bibles open, studying his word and asking him to shape us and to form us. And what we want to do is we kick off 2024 is primarily a work to serve those of you that are new to the life of our church. But even if you're not new to the life of our church, if you've been here for the entirety of the last 19 years, if you've been on this journey with us, this is a moment where we want to remind you what we're about. What's the why behind Frontline Church? What are we doing together? What's our shared identity together? What's our purpose together as a church? And so for the course of the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about our mission. What is it that shapes what we do, our values and our vision and our passion as a people? And today what I want to do is a little different. Before we get into the particular dynamics of Frontline and how we want to express faithful discipleship and mission in our city, I want to take you through the entirety of the book of Acts. Now, don't get nervous. You're still going to get to lunch on time. But I want to walk you through the book of Acts because what happens in the book of Acts is this powerful invitation to see that what God is doing in his church and through his church is worth you absolutely pushing all your chips in on and selling out your life for. This last week, even though I have low-grade hatred of my gym all year long, um, this is the week of the year where my hatred of my gym climaxes and I feel like giving up. I, I've decided, even as I pulled into the parking lot to try to work out and saw thousands of new people, that I would take up competitive eating and boycott exercise, at least for the first quarter of this year. Um, this is the time of year where everybody new shows up. And there's all kinds of new people video, videoing themselves doing various strange things in the gym. This is, this is the time of year where the ladies in my gym wear even less clothes than usual. This is the time of the year where dudes are taking up the squat racks, doing curls and various things that glorify the kingdom of darkness. And, and I don't want to be a part of it. So I'm opting out. I'm boycotting my gym. I hate my gym. And I say all that to say, if you think that the church is like a membership at the YMCA or VASA, you're missing the beauty of what this is. This is an invitation from God for you to be about what he's about in the earth and to have your life get swept up into something that affects the ordinary dynamics of Monday through Sunday and also, and also, actually brings eternity to bear in your relationships and in your life. And in the book of Acts, what I love about it, and there's so many things I love, but in the book of Acts, what we have is that this amazing book, which is about the launching of God's mission to expand his kingdom from the church, is bookended in chapter 1 and chapter 28 with teaching about the kingdom of God. In the beginning, after Jesus was raised from the dead, 
He presented himself alive to his disciples by many proofs, the Bible says, by many proofs. And what he spoke to them about was very pointed. Luke tells us that he appeared to them during 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus took his early band of disciples and he actually shared with them the dynamics of the kingdom and the heart of the kingdom and he shaped and formed them in such a way that their lives that their lives were invited into the flow of what he interrupted history to bring in. At the end of the book of Acts, this is Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And here's what it says at the end of the book. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all that came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The book of Acts begins with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. It ends with Paul teaching about the kingdom of God. And between chapter one and chapter 28, the thing that's mind blowing is that God advances his kingdom in the earth over the course of 30 years in such a dramatic way that 120 people in an upper room in Jerusalem turns into multitudes of people spread out throughout the Roman empire, even in the belly of the beast, Rome. And what I want to do today is I want to show you this theme that goes through the entire book of Acts, this theme of God, not just advancing his kingdom in the midst of opposition, but God actually advancing his kingdom through opposition. It's not, it's not that despite the kingdom of darkness and the sinfulness of people and political intrigue and violence, it's not that God's just bigger than those things and able to overcome those things. It's that God actually uses the very things that look like it's going to choke out and snuff out the fire of his kingdom. He actually uses those things almost like a judo master. He takes that darkness and he moves it to actually advance his purposes in the earth. And I think this matters for you. And I think this matters for me, especially as we look down the barrel at 2024, an election year that's almost guaranteed to feel like a dumpster fire. God's at work in the midst of things that seem terrible. So take your Bible. I'm just going to walk you through examples in the book of Acts of God advancing his kingdom in the midst of opposition. In Acts chapter two, Jesus keeps his promise to send the Holy Spirit to the church. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and the Bible promised throughout the Old Testament that in Messiah's rule, the spirit of God would not just rest on certain leaders that were prophetic, that were called to speak to God's people, but the dynamics of his kingdom would be marked by every single member being filled with the Holy Spirit to love, obey, and follow the Messiah. And in Acts chapter two, as the great sign that Jesus is reigning and ruling over all things, he sends the Holy Spirit, the church is baptized, and as a sign and wonder, many of those early Christians start speaking in tongues, and Jewish believers all throughout the Roman Empire hear them speaking in their own native tongue. And you would think, well, this is amazing. People are going to respond. They're seeing the power of God. They're hearing the mysteries of God. But instead, in the midst of God working, what happens? People start making fun of it. They start mocking the apostles and saying that they're drunk with wine. 
But even in the midst of the mockery, God moves in such a way that Peter stands up to preach and the spirit of God pierces hearts. And in one day, mockery turns into 3,000 people being added to the early church. Then we get to Acts chapter three and four. And a lame beggar whose life is destitute, who's dependent on the charity of others, who's overlooked by the entire society, who's an outcast, he's healed by Jesus. And in the midst of that miracle, the leaders of the Jewish people want to stomp out the work of Jesus and the advance of his kingdom by arresting Peter and John. And something crazy happens in the midst of that opposition in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. May may that be said of you and me. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the Jewish authorities, they try to destroy the work of Jesus and keep it from going forward by arresting the leaders. But all that happens is the aroma of Jesus actually intensifies. And then we have a thousand plus more people added to the church in chapter three and chapter four. And then the church in the midst of opposition experiences almost a second Pentecost where they're filled afresh by the Holy Spirit and there's more power. Then we get to Acts chapter five and we're introduced to a different kind of opposition. There's opposition outside the church that sometimes comes through political leadership or persecution, but sometimes the most insidious danger to the church is what happens inside of the church. And in Acts chapter five, corruption from within the church is raised up through a man named Ananias and his wife who lie to the Holy Spirit. It's a crazy story. You should read it, especially if you think that Jesus is just sort of like, a hippie dude in sandals that just sort of is placid and never rocks the boat because in the midst of them trying to disrupt the church and get glory for themselves, Jesus works in such a way where he actually kills those two people. And you would think like, that's a really big error on the part of Jesus because nobody's going to want to be a part of the church after he brings judgment to people. But instead the Bible tells us that the fear of God filled multitudes of people. And that's not like just cringing in terror before God. That's awe. They were amazed at the power and the authority of Jesus. They're like, this is real. This is life-changing. This matters. And as the fear of God fills the people of God, the Bible tells us that far from that, destroying the advance of the kingdom, multitudes of more people are added to the church. Then towards the end of Acts chapter five, there's more resistance from the outside and the apostles are arrested and beaten. But listen to what happens in Acts five, starting in verse 41. When they left the presence of the council, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And then at the end, it tells us that the result of that, even in the midst of opposition and resistance, is that the disciples increased in number. And if you've been a part of a church plant that's gone from the early days and God's grown it, you know that Acts chapter six makes a lot of sense, not just in the first century, but today, as the church grows like crazy, it gets really disorganized and bad things start to happen. And what happens in Acts chapter six is that the Hellenistic widows, those are Greek speaking widows, 
the Hellenistic widows, they start getting overlooked in the distribution of food and care for the poor, and it starts to surface cultural division and class division and race division in the early church. And as you read Acts chapter six, you start to think, oh man, like what Jesus is doing is so beautiful and good, but it's just gonna fracture and break apart and they're gonna devour each other. But instead the spirit of God works to deepen the church through the office of deacons and deacons who lead the church through serving are raised up to make sure that the poor are cared for. Then we get to Acts chapter seven and eight and violence goes on blast. It intensifies like crazy. There's a deacon named Stephen who preaches the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, the Jewish leaders are enraged against him. They rush towards him and they bash his brain out, his brains out with rocks. And there's a young guy standing next to that mob of people who's holding the coats for Stephen's murderers, a guy named Saul, and he approves heartily of that murder. But then something crazy happens in the midst of that violence, the gospel spreads to Samaria, which was a region that was hated by Jewish people. And not only does it spread to Samaria, we have the first African convert, an Ethiopian eunuch who meets Jesus and takes the gospel back to Africa. And then a crazy thing happens. Jesus shows up and converts a terrorist named Saul, the guy that was there approving of Stephen's murder, and Saul becomes Paul, the greatest missionary in the history of the church. Then in Acts chapter nine, we have Paul being persecuted in Damascus by Jews, and then he's persecuted in Jerusalem by Hellenists. But Acts chapter nine, verse 31 tells us, so, meaning because of, so in the midst of the persecution throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, they had peace and they were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. It's counterintuitive. It's like the worst things that the devil throws at the church, the more raving anger that actually gets brought to the church, the more God works and moves to deepen his people and advance his kingdom. Then we get to Acts chapter 11, and this is the turning point in the book of Acts. Persecution does something really, really important. In the early chapters of the book of Acts, the movement of Jesus and the advance of his kingdom was still primarily a Jewish thing. And even though Jesus has told his disciples through the Great Commission that his gospel was going to go to the four corners of the earth, that it was for both Jew and Gentile, because of familiarity, maybe even racial pride, many of the early Christians kept the message of Jesus primarily to Jewish people. But then something happens in 11 that changes the nature of the church forever. It's awesome. Look what happens starting in verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord." 
Here's what happens. Persecution goes crazy in the church and God just uses that as like a salt shaker and he spreads out faithful Christians throughout the ancient world. And what happens is in Acts, we are introduced to the first multicultural church where both Jews and Gentiles are gathering together, loving Jesus. It's the church at Antioch. And that becomes the first place where anybody uses the term Christian. And that becomes the launch pad for the most effective first missionary journey, which was Paul and Barnabas planting churches all over the ancient world. Then we get to Acts chapter 12 and more dark things happen. James, the brother of John and Peter are arrested. James is murdered. Peter's rescued. We have a guy named Herod who is boasting in his glory. God curses him. He dies. And in the midst of all of that intrigue and violence and craziness, Acts 12, 24 tells us these words, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Then in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas go to Antioch and Pisidia and they're persecuted and driven out. But as they're persecuted and driven out, it tells us that the Gentiles rejoiced in Jesus and as many who were appointed to eternal life were saved. Then in Acts 14, people try to stone Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, and Paul is stoned in Lystra, and then he does the most gangster thing in the Bible. He literally walks back into the town and strengthens the disciples before going to plant more churches. Then in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas flee from Lystra, and they preach in Derbe and make many disciples. And then we get to Acts 15. And Acts 15 is a paradigm for what God has done throughout the history of the whole church. In Acts chapter 15, there's this sect among the church that was known as the circumcision party. And to make a long story short, the circumcision party was basically preaching a gospel that's Jesus plus circumcision for salvation. So if Gentile people wanted to become Christians, they had to not just believe in Jesus and be baptized in obedience, but they also had to be circumcised and keep all the law of Moses. But God uses that theological mistake, that controversy, to convene the first council of the church that took place at Jerusalem and the actual work of the devil to corrupt the gospel and make it Jesus plus something for salvation is what God uses to clarify the gospel to make sure that the church knows it's Jesus plus nothing for salvation. It's Christ alone. It's grace alone. Then we get to Acts 15, and we have another thing that should both sober us and encourage us. We have two godly leaders who have a profound disagreement, and they break up. Paul and Barnabas had been missionary partners. They had traveled the world. They'd suffered together. They loved each other. They were close friends and co-laborers in the gospel. But listen to these words, Acts 15, verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best to not take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Here's what's happening. John Mark had bailed on him on a missionary journey. He, he got freaked out by the pushback and opposition. And Barnabas, as you read about him, he's just like this fatherly guy. He's really gentle. He's warm hearted and he wants to give John Mark another chance. But Paul's like, hey, dude, you got to understand the stakes are really high and we can't take a guy into battle who's bailed on us in the past. And verse 39 is really scary and sobering. It says, and there arose a sharp disagreement. These are godly leaders. These are apostles in the early church, but they have a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. 
And Barnabas took Mark with him and he sailed to Cyprus, but Paul took Uh, But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Guys, even in the midst of division between two leaders that should have stayed together, they should have figured it out. But even in the midst of that breakup, God still works to plant more churches. And what's amazing is they get reunited later on and there's reconciliation and beauty. Then we get to Acts 16. And Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in prison. Beaten and thrown in prison. It's a brutal, horrible thing that happens to them. But because of that imprisonment, the Philippian church is born through the conversion of a slave girl, a businesswoman, and a prison guard. And the Philippian church becomes one of the most beautiful churches in the New Testament, one of the healthiest churches in the ancient world. Then in Acts chapter 17, a riot breaks out against Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. And some Jewish people, as a result of that riot, are saved, and a great many of the devout Greeks and many of the leading women come to Jesus. And then in Acts 17, Paul is chased out of Thessalonica, but the result is that the Bereans hear the gospel. Then he's chased out of Berea, but the result is that the Athenians hear the gospel. And then in Acts 17, Paul is mocked by the philosophers for preaching the resurrection But even as he's being mocked, there's a woman named Demarius whose life is transformed by Jesus and others also. Then in Acts 18, Paul is opposed and reviled by many of the Jewish people, but the result is he gets to spend six months teaching Gentiles. And then in Acts 18, we're introduced to this guy named Apollos, who's this powerful Bible teacher and church planner and evangelist, but he's got some doctrinal errors. He's teaching some things that are not accurate about baptism but we have a godly spiritual dad and spiritual mom, Priscilla and Aquila, who sit down with him and they help explain the way of Jesus more accurately. And the result is that Apollos becomes this powerhouse of church planting and preaching the gospel. Then in Acts 19, people in the synagogue harden their hearts, but the result is that Paul starts a Bible school in the hall of Tyrannus for two years. And the Bible tells us that all of, the, all of the residents of Asia heard the word of God, both Jews and Greeks. And then Acts chapter 19, which maybe is my favorite part of the entire New Testament. We have this guy named Demetrius, the silversmith, who starts a riot because he's involved in making idols and the whole economy is getting turned upside down as people come to faith and turn away from idols. Like, I don't know what the equivalent of that would look like in OKC, but I'm praying that God does something like that. And in the midst of the riot, in the midst of the riot, Paul then leaves but he starts a church strengthening tour and the pushback results in him going back and checking all the churches that they planted. And then Acts 21 through 26, Paul is arrested in the temple at Jerusalem and all hell breaks loose. Assassins try to kill him. But in the midst of all of that drama, crowds hear about Jesus Jewish leaders hear about Jesus. Felix, the governor, hears about Jesus. His wife, Drusilla, hears about Jesus. Court officials hear about Jesus. Roman leaders hear about Jesus. King Agrippa, Agrippa's wife, Bernice, all hear the gospel. And Paul appeals to Caesar and is sent to Rome, which leads in the church being strengthened there. And then in the last two chapters of the book of Acts, Paul has a really bad day. Uh, I don't know how bad your last Monday was, but it was not as bad as this day. Paul is in the midst of a crazy storm on a prison ship. The storm gets completely wrecked on rocks and through waves. 
And then on the beach, on the beach, he goes over to a pile of firewood to try to get warm. He reaches down for a log and he gets bit by a poisonous snake. You're like, God must hate this guy. But then in the midst of all of that pain and drama, God preserves Paul's life. And the result of the shipwreck and the pain and the snake bite is that the people in Malta get to hear the gospel. A man is healed and that becomes a catalyst for all the sick folks on the island being brought to meet Jesus. Now, listen, I'm not taking you through all this to candy coat all the bad things that happen in Acts. I'm not doing that. I don't want to minimize those things. I don't want to minimize the death of Stephen and what that meant for his family. I don't want to minimize what it must have been like to be beaten in prison. I don't want to minimize persecution and how hard it was for the early church. Those things were hard and they're painful. There are evil things that happened throughout the book of Acts. But I want you to understand that the book of Acts is telling us that Jesus wasn't lying when he said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And in the midst of our cultural moment where there's so much hand-wringing, where we're so prone to be anxious and freaked out about the world and freaked out about all the things that are happening and there's so many bad reports about the church going belly up in America, I want to say four things to you guys that I want you to hold on to. Four things. First of all, Jesus is building his church and advancing his kingdom. It is what he's doing and he will accomplish every single thing that he wants to accomplish. Whatever bonkers banana stuff happens in the United States in the next 24 months, here's what you can absolutely take to the bank. Jesus is not retired. Jesus is not on vacation in heaven. Jesus is working to build his church and everything he wants to do in this calendar year through his church, he will do it. He will prune, he will plant, he will strengthen. Even when he ends churches, he's working to advance his kingdom. Secondly, we can have confidence and courage and resilience, confidence, courage, and resilience because of three things that should give you hope. First of all, because of the sovereignty of God. There's a thousand things we could say about the sovereignty of God, but just think about the horrible the horrible travesty of justice that the son of God, the sinless lamb was murdered. Herod's hands were bloody. Pilate's hands were bloody. The Jewish leadership's hands were bloody. The crowds were bloody. And Judas, who betrayed Jesus, his hands were bloody. But the Bible tells us, even though all of those parties were responsible, that it was God at work to accomplish redemption according to his predetermined plan. God's at work. And and throughout the course of this year, even in the moments where you feel like your heart's breaking or God's turned his back on you, here's what we know because of the finished work of Jesus. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, not even death. And God's working all things together for those that love him, that are called according to his purpose. God is sovereign over everything, which means we don't have to freak out. We don't have to get sucked into the mob. We don't have to imbibe 40 hours a week of crazy, panic-driven nonsense on social media. We can be peaceful people in the midst of an anxious world, not because we have our head in the sand, but because we know, we know who our father is. In addition, we can have confidence, courage, and resilience because of the power of the gospel. 2,000 years ago, the gospel was the power of God for salvation, and today it's the power of God for salvation. 
it's still good news. It's still good news for you. It's still good news for me. It's good news for super conservative people. It's good news for super progressive people. It's good news for your coworkers. It's good news for your neighbors. It is the best news. And we can have confidence in sharing the good news of Jesus because God uses that message to penetrate hearts and to change lives. And we can have confidence because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that empowered the church to follow Jesus 2,000 years ago is still here. He's still working. He's still leading. Thirdly, I would remind us that we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised. First Peter is, uh, it's at the top of our hit list for books of the Bible that we want to preach through. Um, First Peter pushes back against our weird expectations that life is going to look like Instagram. Listen to what 1 Peter 4.12 says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Hey, loving and following Jesus is no easy button for life. There's still going to be rejection and betrayal. In fact, Jesus promised that those things would happen. People that love and follow Jesus still get sick. People that love and follow Jesus still die. There's still relational conflict. There's all kinds of bad things that happen to people in this life, including Christians. (laughs) But in the midst of all of those things, the Bible would tell us again and again and again that God has prepared us for those things by telling us that those things are part of what it's like to live in this world. And those things are actually designed for those that love God to not be wasted, but to actually serve as a furnace to refine us, to make us more like Jesus, to help us to actually have our future and our hope set on the kingdom of God. I am so prone to being surprised. I'm not just surprised when big, out of the blue bad things happen. I'm surprised when the same bad thing happens every single Monday. I'm like, I didn't see that coming. It's like, well, can't believe it. That's weird. And Peter is telling us, Peter is telling us that, hey man, following Jesus will include sufferings on the narrow road. It doesn't mean God's forgotten you. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. In fact, he's actually faithful to work in the things that are the most painful things in our lives to refine us and to give us gifts that are gonna last forever. The last thing, last thing, and I'll pray for you. Finally, Acts reminds us that we shouldn't go alone. We shouldn't go alone. Acts is not the story of a couple of super heroic, amazing, like Rambo characters. It's not. It's not the story of like the lone man who's standing by himself against all odds. Those are the weird mythological stories that we buy into. And don't get me wrong. I love the entirety of the Rambo catalog. Um, But it's not reality. It's, It's stupid. It's foolish. It's ridiculous. And the book of Acts is reminding us again and again and again that what Jesus is doing to advance his kingdom is actually a communal work to knit lives together so that we can strengthen each other, support one another, fight for each other, rebuke one another, encourage one another, walk with one another, that we can't walk this this road by ourselves, that we need each other. This is is an awesome reminder an awesome reminder that to follow Jesus is not something you can do by yourself. 
And that whole idea of just me and Jesus is like maybe one of the most pervasive lies of Satan in the church today. It's not just you and Jesus. It is you and Jesus, but it's not just you and Jesus. You need spiritual friendship. You need brothers. You need sisters. You need community. You need to be known. You need to fight for the things that are true and beautiful. And you need to fight with people in your corner. So I want to pray for you. If you guys would join me, bow your heads, close your eyes. God, we, we want our faith to grow. We want our resilience to grow. We want our obedience to grow. Lord, the book of Acts is also an amazing reminder that it's not just pastors that get to share in the eternal work of advancing your kingdom. It's every single member of your body. And I thank you, Lord, that in this room, there's, there's nothing but full-time ministers if they've trusted in Jesus. If they're in oil and natural gas, if they're in marketing, if they're working in restaurants, if they're stay-at-home moms, they're full-time ministers of the gospel of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a year where our calling to serve you and follow you and risk for you and obey you would grow and deepen. I pray as we come to this meal that you would feed us and encourage us. We need you and we love you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Can we stand together?